0: welcome everyone this is mia faroletto publisher of new observations magazine welcome to the new observations podcast i know we've been on break for a while but um we were working on our protest uh issue uh, covering the violence at the Capitol on January 26, and we took a few weeks off to uh, publish that, pull it all together, and you'll be able to see it by the time this podcast comes out on our website, newobservations.org. Uh, it's an incredible compilation of work that was submitted by a number of artists in response to what happened on January 6, 2021 at the Capitol. So today we have the, the um, privilege to welcome Paulette D'Otay to our podcast. Um, Paulette is one of the leaders, one of the co-directors of the International Leonard Peltier Defense Fund and um, has been an activist Uh, For the majority of her adult life, she's been very, very involved um, with the American Indian Movement and other uh, protest and activist organizations on behalf of human rights for everyone and has done extraordinary work and lived um, an amazing life. Welcome to the show, Paulette.
1: Well, me, I'd sure like to meet the woman you just introduced.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you are the woman I just introduced.
1: <laughs> well, thank you very much. Thank you very much.
0: <laughs> um, you have had an, an extraordinary life. Um, and uh, for today's purposes, I I would really like us to focus on your involvement, um, your background, first of all, and your involvement on Pine Ridge during, um, the years up to the present of, um, the AIM movement and the Lakota and, um, Ishinabe and, um, other tribes really standing up for their spiritual and religious and, and human rights. Um, it's such an important time in our history.
1: Oh, well, thank you. Well, actually, um, I became involved with the American Indian Movement in 1972 when I met Leonard Peltier in Chicago. I have always been an anti-imperialist and have been in organizations that represented the struggles Uh, throughout the world of people throwing off the shackles of the colonialists. And uh, I was working with an organization called Rising Up Angry in Chicago, and there was a call that was put out by the American Indian Movement uh, and various other indigenous organizations to go to Washington and talk with the people at the Bureau of Indian Affairs regarding treaties and sovereignties. And at that time, I was living in Chicago, and as groups came through, Rising Up Angry had potluck fundraisers uh, to provide uh, gas money, got some new tires from some cars and some clothes, and then uh, sent folks on their way. Well, Leonard wasn't able to make the first round because he was part of uh, a warrior society uh, that was dealing with the Menominee Monastery in Wisconsin. And so two weeks later, Leonard and uh, his crew came, and we had a potluck for them and um Discussions about the whole questions of treaty and sovereignty and what that meant, and how in the 1970s, what was the reality on their reservations. So, after Leonard took off, uh, he went to D.C., and then he went to Milwaukee, where he was accosted by a police officer when he was leaving a, a restaurant. And because um, even though the police officer was the aggressor, Leonard was charged with assaulting him and was put on trial. And he was eventually found not guilty because the policeman's girlfriend testified that he had Leonard's picture in his wallet and had been told to cause some trouble for this Indian guy. Which he did wow, uh, but Leonard was found uh, guilty, um and it was um a wonderful event. there was all kind of ceremonies, Crowdog was there, uh, he gave people their some of their indian names uh and uh from there, uh Leonard went to the west coast. Wounded Knee had just finished by the time his trial was over, so he never was part of that particular uh, action on the part of the American Indian Movement. But we pick up with Leonard in New Mexico, and it was a big AIM conference, and the elders from Pine Ridge had come down there and at uh, period of time during the conference uh, the grandmas made a plea to all the young angsters to please come to Pine Ridge that they had uh, the whole question of elders and traditional people being attacked and beaten up by the thugs um, and the goons now of course the goons were the really their real name was you know, guardians of the Ogallala Nation. And you would think with a name like that, they would be protecting their elders and traditional people, where in fact they were a particular hit squad of Richard Wilson, who was the tribal chairman at that time. And because of his relationship to the money people in D.C., He was able then to turn the money that came in to take care of everybody. It was used primarily by his family or as a way for him to buy more weapons and guns. But the traditional people and the people that lived in outlying areas were totally neglected, if not beaten and run off the road by uh, the goons. So... At that time, Pine Ridge was, had the highest death rate in the United States per capita. Within a two-year period, over 60 people were killed um, or supposed accidents by being run off the road. And people had petitioned uh, the government, the Department of Justice, to investigate this. And the elders said, well, you can do it your way, but we're going to ask these young people to come and help us. And so there was two or three major camps uh, on Pine Ridge, and Leonard Leonard Peltier, Bob Robidoux, Dino Butler, Melok Butler, and many other young people went to Grandma Jumping Bulls which is in Ogallala, which is a section of the Pine Ridge Reservation. Now, Bob, do you know Leonard and Neelock were the oldest people there? Uh, Oh, and Joe Stuntz. Joe Stuntz and Neelock were in their early 20s. But the other people that were there, Norman Brown and Wish Draper, And baby AIM, they were all teenagers. And Jean Roach, Jean Roach, who is now one of our board members, was 15 at the time that this incident is taking place. Uh, And her brother, who was there with them, was 12. So you had
0: this grouping
1: of elders and young people who were being trained traditionally to learn their language, Um, and to support them they had big gardens the men uh, cut wood for winter so everything would be ready for the elders they took people to the grocery store they just did what was necessary to protect the elders and the traditional people and so while Leonard was there he was also Uh, married to a Lakota woman, Andrea, and he had two children, Waha and Marquita. Um, And that was his tie to Pine Ridge, was his relationship of his wife to the nation. So on this particular day, um, oh, and Bob Robidoux also, he was married to a woman from the Cheyenne River Reservation, which is part of the overall Lakota Nation. And so Bob, who was an Anishinaabe from Turtle Mountain, North Dakota, along with Leonard, had married into uh, the Lakota Nation. So this one morning, everybody is in the kitchen, the young guys are sleeping, and other people are doing things, and this car comes, to the bottom of a sloping hill, uh, and two men get out, they grab some weapons, and a firefight ensues. Leonard and Bob were up at the camp, which is, say, at the top of a little ridge. It's not that far, maybe a couple of football fields away, um, and Dino and nilak we're taking care of some other things, and this firefight, they hear this shooting, and Leonard runs to the other houses on, on Grandma Jumping Bull's land because there are families and children to make sure that they're safe. Grandma and Grandpa Jumping Bull had left for the day uh, because Dennis Banks was in, on, in trial, and they had gone to support him. So this firefight ensues people. Uh, There is gunfire going between the camp people uh, and these two men. And at that point in time, when when I talked to Bob and Leonard, nobody knew who these men were. They were two white guys in what uh, Leonard and Bob later identify as uh, Fed cars. And they had no idea why they were shooting, but they, without hesitation, returned fire to protect the people that were up on their land. Uh, After about an hour or so, um, the feds start to move in and find out that the two young men at the bottom of the hill were, in fact, FBI agents, Ronald Ronald Collier and Williams. And they had been shot. Um, when the men in the camp realized what's going on, they prepared to leave and take off, go through a culvert, and then run up this hill. It's a small mountain out there um, with the uh, feds and uh, the goons and the sheriff and anybody that could get a gun firing at them as they went up to the top of the hill. They all escaped, except our very wonderful young comrade, Joe Stuntz, who had been killed by a marshal, I believe it was. He was shot in the head uh, right between the eyes. This man was quite a distance away, and there was a, a goon that was next to him and was spotting for him, and he shot Joe. So they had a prayer for Joe and then they all escaped and went up this hill. So here we have all these young people trying to get away because when they find out, Bob said they knew that their lives were lost that day, that there would be no way they would ever get justice for some Indian people who would be charged with murdering two FBI agents? so they're able to escape for a while. Bob is captured um, a few days later, as is Dino and nilak and Leonard goes on a um, a trip with uh, Dennis banks uh to raise some money to help as well as to build some support for him going to Canada because the elders had told him that he should try and get political asylum because he had not been captured. So that was Leonard's aim, was to get to Canada and to seek political asylum. So this progresses for quite a while, and uh, Bob and Dino... (coughs) are held in the Pennington County Jail, which is in Rapid City, South Dakota, about 90 miles north of Pine Ridge. Um, and so they Leonard gets to Canada. He does not get asylum. He is captured. And so the lawyers make a decision because Leonard is going to fight extradition that they should have the trial for Bob and Dino and then be prepared for when Leonard comes back. So there's a move to send them to um, Iowa, and they go there, and um, Cedar Rapids, they go to Cedar Rapids, and there's a, a trial there. And uh, this Judge McManus um, is a very thoughtful judge. He pays attention to what's going on. uh, And uh, the trial moves along, and that's inside the courtroom. Outside the courtroom, there was an Indian camp, which we normally always do when there's trials. And there was a kitchen, and they fed people. And they had uh, demonstrations, and they had the drum that was played, and people walked around the courthouse. And um, this was so far ago that all of the parents were still alive. Bob, Bob's parents Dina, uh, and Dino's parents came from Oregon to be part of the trial for their children. They, of course, wow. were children at this time, but... You know, so there was probably a camp of maybe between 75 and 100 that would rotate in and out, and they were uh, very respectful and they were treated very respectfully by that particular community. And during the trial, McManus allowed Bob and Dino's lawyer, who was a counselor. Uh, and Bruce Ellison, to present facts that talk to why this firefight had taken place. Why were these young men and women at this elders' land? What had happened? The 60 people that had been killed, what was the um, atmosphere there that drove the elders to ask for Outside people to come in and protect them. And so during this, the jury was actually acclimated to the realities of what was going on. You have to realize, of course, this is three years after Wounded Knee, which, of course, really the whole country watched. So the head of the FBI, I believe, was asked to testify. And he had just one question put to him, and that is, what is self-defense? Because that was what Bob and Dino said. They were not guilty on the grounds of self-defense. And so this man testifies and he says, you know, self-defense is when you are attacked by an agency or people you do not know, out of the blue and then you have to respond in order to protect yourself and your family. And that was the only question he was asked and he answered it. And so of course that showed that in fact what Bob and Dino's lawyers had argued was in fact the reality of the situation. And this all white
0: jury found
1: Bob and Dino not guilty
0: and which is, an amazing, which is an amazing which is an amazing event in and of, in and of itself paulette right. we are going to take our our first com- commercial break right now okay. so hold on for a minute and we will be back don't go anywhere okay welcome back to the show so hey, um So there must have been an enormous celebration um, at the closing of the trial for Dino and Bob.
1: There was a celebration, but there was also inside the court, there was, you know, of course, nobody was screaming or yelling. Everybody stood and was excited. But the FBI, who were also, many of them were at the trial because they knew these two young men that had been killed. Uh, were in tears and just angry and hate-made, you know, very white supremacist statements about Indian people and things like that. And what we have found out is that because they lost that trial, they did an analysis of it, and they realized that they had not put a gun in Bob Ordino's hands. Yes, there had been a firefight. Everybody was firing back and forth at each other. But nobody was directly responsible for the death of the agents. And so they set about to make sure that the mistakes, quote, that their people made, the prosecutor made, would not happen when Leonard was was brought back from Canada. And so Leonard is extradited, and instead of going to Cedar Rapids with Judge McManus, as he was supposed to do, there were some shenanigans pulled. McManus is pulled off the case, and it goes to North Dakota, goes to Fargo, North Dakota, And this man named Judge Benson takes over the case. It's a 360-degree turnaround. Judge Benson's rulings are, I will hear nothing bad about the FBI. I will not allow certain testimony. And, of course, as the judge, he can rule that that's irrelevant to the case. And so... People don't hear what happens on Pine Ridge. People don't understand why um, people were called to come in and protect them. They also then try and put uh, a gun in Leonard's hand at 223, and they have all kinds of ballistic shenanigans around this that uh, the bullet that was found in these two young agents was too smashed up to be able to actually say what it was. But uh, the coroner said, well, it looks to him like it could be a 223 and who has the 223? Well, one of the young persons put that said, well, Leonard Peltier had had a 223 and this young man was, uh, about 16 at the time, pardon me, and lived on a reservation. And when the FBI went to talk with him, they locked him in a room with two agents. Uh, His family was not allowed to be there. They didn't tell him anything about having a lawyer present. And they terrorized this young man so much that he said that he saw Leonard with this gun. Now, when he testified, he recanted it and said, I was so scared, this is what I said. But that's not the reality. There were many two twenty threes there, and I don't know what Leonard had that day. However, that's testimony of placing the gun in Leonard's hands became very damning evidence. They also tried to use the um, bullet itself to say that that came from a specific gun. And the FBI man that was in charge of ballistics got caught in a lie an outright lie that he finally had to come back and recant and say, Oh pardon me, I misspoke when in fact um he had lied about the how many people were around these bullets when they were in the lab. So altogether Leonard's trial was harsh, um The FBI told the judge that all these Indian people outside were going to raid the courtroom. Uh, So he had the jury sequestered. They had to ride in this van back and forth with the windows covered. They had sharpshooters on the roof of the courthouse in case they tried to get the judge. And the FBI really wrapped his judge right around their fingers. And by the time the jury was through hearing the evidence, Leonard became convicted of first-degree murder of two FBI agents and was given two life sentences. So the whole, the whole travesty of justice if you compare Bob and Dino's trial and you read Leonard's trial and you say, well, why why couldn't Leonard also claim self-defense? Because one of the charges was aiding and abetting. But now who would he have aided and abetted? If Bob and Dino were innocent, then the only person he could have aided and abetted was himself. And so by... Um, for, misconduct. Uh, Leonard was convicted. And so i now, this is 77, and I, there is a defense committee for Leonard, started by his cousin Steve Robidoux and Raoul Salinas in Seattle, and they put out a call, and I am working with this wife anti imperialist organization called the Prairie Fire Organizing Committee and they asked for support and so we become involved with the work around Leonard and the first time I meet Leonard he and I laughed because we hadn't seen each other in about five years and he said, "Hey, my God, who would have thought this is <laughs> this is how we would meet again. So I, as part of my political work, um, worked on Leonard's case and have worked on Leonard's case since about 1977, 78. Wow. Then, of course, after Leonard's convicted and he goes to prison, there's an attempt on his life, and Leonard escapes is recaptured, and we have this huge escape trial in 1979, and the committee were able, we have three defense houses, we have hundreds of people, we have community dinners every night, and Bob and Dino and Dennis Banks are on the TV talking about that. There's a walking altar that walks every day around the courthouse with people in cars with land and things like that and of course the government says, Well, you should have told the prison that someone was trying to kill you and then it's lawyer said, And Your Honor, uh, if they're the people that are trying to kill you, uh, who are you going to report it to? but Leonard was convicted and he was given
0: seven more
1: years added to his two life sentences. And so I worked on Leonard's case as part of my political work ever since then. I've traveled uh, to Europe many times and taken Leonard's statements of solidarity and in fact, if you go to certain areas in Europe, like the Basque Country and areas of France, people know Leonard better than people here in the United States. So that's been uh, part of our work is developed develop the international, as well as trying to raise awareness here, and not only Leonard's case, but the whole question of why he's in prison, which is, of course, the question of sovereignty and the right of self-determination for indigenous people on their land under their mode of government, not that imposed on them by the United States government. So it's been a long time. I was, Bob and Dino have worked on Leonard's case for many years, uh, Bob and I ran the defense committee in Lawrence, Kansas. We put out newspapers. We worked with Peter Matheson to develop uh, for his research on In the Spirit of Crazy Horse. Uh, Michael and actually, you were married.
0: You were yes, married.
1: Bob and, I. <laughs> Bob and I were married, and in fact, that's one of the reasons that I'm still here is that now. Um, marriage Leonard and I are cousins and before Bob died his thing was to make sure that Leonard got free and so he said you know I mean we didn't know he was going to die but his he was in Spain and coming back and he said no matter what you know this is our family's commitment to get Leonard out so You just have to do it, and so we've done it, and I've continued on various different roads with Leonard, and now I'm one of the national directors here in Tampa, Florida, which is about 60 miles southwest of Coleman Prison, USP number 2, where Leonard has been incarcerated for the last 10 years.
0: We have to take our second and final commercial break. So hold on, uh, and we'll be right back.
2: My new book, Jesus, A New Vision, is an entirely new vision of the life of Jesus and what happened after. Among many other things, it is about why the resurrection happened and what happened to the teaching of Jesus that led to the creation of Christianity. It's an extraordinary and virtually untold story. Graham Hancock, author of Fingerprints of the Gods, says, Whitley Strever's take on Jesus is thought-provoking and inspiring. This is an important investigation filled with new insights, highly recommended. Toby Johnson, author of Finding Your Own True Myth, what I learned from Joseph Campbell, says, very wise and satisfying for the contemporary mind. My book does not deny the divinity of Jesus, but it looks at the power of the human mind and the human soul in a whole new way. Do not miss it. It's available now as a Kindle, and as an audio book, it will be available within a week or so in paperback and hardcover. You can find it on Amazon. You can find the audiobook on Amazon, on Audible.com, and on Apple Books. Listen to this sample from the audio book. Reading the canonical gospels with the eye of a detective reveals much that has been hidden, more or less in plain sight. For example, it is clear that Jesus intentionally goaded the Romans into killing him. I think that the reason that he did this is understandable, as I will discuss. He was also helped by a group of people who are almost invisible in the Gospels, but not quite. They must have been incredibly learned, In fact, they must have known and understood the secret of death itself, and thus how to surmount it. They were not members of any known order, such as the Essenes. So who were they? And for that matter, as he was not a deity come to earth, who was he, really? Using a combination of a re-examination of his story, and the application of scientific tools to, for example, study the Shroud of Turin, We can make exciting strides toward recovering the secrets that they must have known. Some of them are hidden in the shroud, which it would now appear cannot have been a medieval forgery, as was incorrectly concluded back in 1988. As shall be seen, the evidence refuting that conclusion is strong. The implications of the resurrection event are amazing and exciting and have something very new to say, not only about Jesus, but about us. Jesus, a new vision. Get it today.
0: And welcome back to the show, um, Paulette. Hey. Y- you have um, you have been working on behalf of Leonard for over forty years. And we've just um, we've just elected a a new president. Um, Tell us about uh, tell us about Leonard's continue continued efforts uh, for to obtain a parole and what happened um, most recently uh, with the Trump administration.
1: Um, All right, well, let's start with Trump. People were very encouraged that Trump would look positively on Leonard's request for clemency because of his uh, attitudes and uh, actions against the FBI. And since we've been able to document the misconduct of the FBI Uh, Many people, including our lawyers, felt that uh, Trump should have some sympathy or understanding that it wasn't just him and his family that had been targeted by the FBI, but um, Leonard and many other people as well. And so up until the day, uh, the 20th, we were really hoping that uh, Trump would, in fact, grant clemency to Leonard. He didn't do that, but he also didn't deny him. So we have a new petition that our lawyer is in the process of putting together that will go to the Pardon Commission under the Biden administration. Once that petition is um, reviewed, it would then go to Biden to sign off on. So one of the things that we are doing is asking people to write to the White House, uh, to Biden, to your congressperson, to your senator, asking them to support Leonard's request for clemency. Leonard, at this point in time, is 77 or will be in September. Uh, he is not in great health. He has um, diabetes, uh, which he had fought and had it eradicated. But because of the COVID virus and the fact that people are not allowed to go out and walk around and exercise and that the food that they're giving Is totally full of sugars and carbs and, you know, just food that you would choose to eat maybe once in a while yourself. They are given every day. And so that has brought his diabetes back to the fore. He also uh, last year or two years ago had a triple bypass. And he has some elderly people's male problems. He has problems with the prostate. He has uh, bad arthritis in his hips and knee. And he has an aortic aneurysm that has not gotten large enough to be operated on. So we're asking people to, you know, write letters to the president and their congressional delegations to support Leonard's request for clemency. At the same time, we're also in the process of trying to get Leonard moved. Leonard is from Turtle Mountain, North Dakota, the Anishinaabe Nation. It is from their door to Leonard's door practically coast to coast. His reservation is 10 miles from the Canadian border. So it's about 2,300 miles from there to Leonard's prison cell, which makes it extremely difficult for his family to visit him. I mean, when you talk about his brothers and sisters, he's in the middle, so he still has three or four older ones as well as four or five younger brothers and sisters, and by younger I mean in their late 60s. And so for them to make this trip from North Dakota to Florida is extremely hard and difficult. So we are going to see about getting him a transfer to Oxford, Wisconsin, which is within the 500-mile range of where They try and place prisoners. And Oxford, Wisconsin is an FCI. And as of February 22nd, Leonard's security clearance will be reduced from a U.S. penitentiary to an FCI, which means that his being viewed by the authorities, his threat to them has been lessened by about 45%. Wow. So we're hoping that will happen within the next month to six weeks if it takes that long.
0: And at the same I think, time... The, I I just want to I interject. Want to think I think... oh, I, I Hold that thought. I just want to interject here um, that Leonard has been... Uh, nominated for a Nobel Prize, what is it, six times? And um, the right. and and the people who have supported him globally include Nelson Mandela, Desmond Tutu, uh, organizations Lama. such as the Dalai Lama. Amnesty International support him and um, believe he should be free. The list goes on and on and on in terms of the support that he has. Um, And aside from that, um, his art, uh, which he's developed in prison, moves him into a whole other category as well uh, as a person of importance. So, So go ahead with your thought.
1: Okay. And all of that information that
0: Mia just told you can
1: be found on our website, which is www.whoisleonardpeltier.info slash art. And the list of awards is on the website as well. And so the third prong is to deal with a parole, a request for a parole hearing, which with the reduction of his security would show that at the age of 77 that he is not a threat to anybody in the society and in fact would be welcomed back on Turtle Mountain with open arms as his family is there, His children live in Bismarck and in the whole northern section of North Dakota. Uh, The nation has been said that they will help build a house for him once they know he's on his way. So everything is set for Leonard to go home. And so this year we're really emphasizing this three-pronged, Way, a legal way of trying to get Leonard out. And so, if you're interested, if you go to the website on the bottom of the first page, you can sign up for our newsletter. And that comes out about every other, every two weeks. And in it, the last couple of issues, we've had uh, New Observation, the wonderful edition that Mia and her crew put out about Pine Ridge and included about 40 of Leonard's paintings. So you can see for yourself the breadth of his painting uh, history. Like he said, if he had been out, he never would have been a painter because he never would have had time. But being incarcerated, this was the way that he could stay in touch with his family and friends and memories of what it was to be an Indian and to be, you know, driving around.
0: Could you say that again? We lost you.
1: Oh, and I said to be driving around with his nephews and nieces and going to ceremonies. Um, you know, and and just living as an indigenous person on the land that he has fought so long to protect.
0: Well, he's he's um, he's really, and and you you can speak more eloquently on this than I. But Leonard is living his Sundance for his people. Um, he's he's really you know, making a daily sacrifice on on behalf of um, all of us, but particularly on on behalf of indigenous people everywhere um, as he remains incarcerated for something that I and many, many other people believe he did not do. Um, so...
1: But he, I know one of the things that's very important is that... Leonard and Bob and Dino were part of and are still part of the Indian Wars. The persecution of Indian people did not go away. Wounded Knee showed this. Three years after Wounded Knee, you still have the FBI attacking. So even though there was a loss of life, this was a battle, just like people are doing around the world to protect their sovereignty. So whether absolutely. Those weapons were the ones that the agents were killed by. This was a battle for sovereignty for Native people and has to be understood within the historical context of what it means to be living under a colonial empire. You know, to have people tell you, you can't practice your religion. You know, I'm going to cut your hair off and you're never going to be allowed to speak your language. So whether or not Leonard or Bob or Gino was guilty is immaterial. The fact that this white supremacist government thinks they continue to persecute indigenous people on their own land is wrong, and they are going to be called for it, just like Dapple and the pipelines and the young people that are standing up. You know, that's really what people need to understand is that this is a question of sovereignty that has been a struggle for 400 years for the indigenous people of this hemisphere.
0: Well, as as Chase Chase Iron Eyes has has said numerous times in his public statements, at this moment in time, we are all. We are all Native Americans, you know, I mean, uh, human rights have deteriorated to such an extent at this moment that we are all fighting for our own, uh, for our sovereignty and for human rights. We are all in this together, um, you know, as Native Americans say, uh, you know, we are all related and um, Henry Redcloud took me to the Jumping Bowl property um, on the Pine Ridge Reservation. And um, knowing the history <coughs> and knowing that these two FBI agents went driving on onto the Jumping Bowl property looking for someone who supposedly stole a pair of cowboy boots, uh, you know, under the ruse of... of getting on to the property in and of itself is extraordinary. It's an extraordinary setup, really, um, to to instigate um, this altercation.
1: Right. Exactly. Exactly. That's right. That's another battle. They came dressed (laughs) for battle and afterwards, they were all dressed in their camo. They had uh, these huge PRCs. They had these vehicles that were right off the reservation waiting for something to happen because at the same time as the firefight, Dickie Wilson was giving away a quarter of the Indian Reservation, the Pine Ridge, and they were expecting there to be some problems. Not a shootout, but Native people resisting Dick Wilson's, you know, uh, giving away part of their land so that he got some profits for himself. So they were ready, was... and they rolled in, and you can see Incident at Ogallala, which is one of the stories of Leonard, or Warrior, which is another story, My Life as a Sundance, which is Leonard's thoughts, about himself and his life in prison and his culture and spirituality. Um, And so all these are available, and I hope all your podcast listeners, you know, will spend some time and, you know, get reacquainted with the reality of what it means to be a person of color, an indigenous person under this government.
0: Also, Dick Wilson was trading off the um, uh, rights to the uranium uh, on the Pine Ridge Reservation at the same time all of this was going on, um, which is depicted in the movie Thunderheart, which uh, Michael Apted also made, uh, as well as Incident at Oglala, which is more the documentary of it. and. Thunderheart was written by uh, screenwriter John Flisco, who contributed a, a, a very powerful article in New Observations magazine in the Pine Ridge issue, um, documenting his his writing of that screenplay. So this is all history. These are all facts. Um, this is the type of thing that people deal with every day Uh, on the Pine Ridge Reservation and other reservations throughout our country. And the average American knows almost nothing about the situation on Pine Ridge, the situation here at home. And um, it's only through exposure and education that uh, awareness and change can occur that's right. That's right. As a high school teacher, you
1: could see, I mean, they were taught about the pilgrims. If you were in a very progressive school, there might have been during the Civil Rights Area a small paragraph about wounded knee, and that's it, and that's all they learned. They didn't learn anything unless, as a teacher, you wanted them to have an overview of the treaties that were broken. Uh the land that was stolen, all the mineral resources, and why the most impoverished people in the United States are those indigenous people who are there and protect Mother Earth. You know, it's it's a crime against humanity the way this government and the greed, uh, as Indian people call it, the Washishu, the eaters of fat, have attempted to devastate these nations, and yet, you know, they are strong and they are surviving, and now there's three or four Native women in Congress, the Representative Deb Holland and Cherise Davis, you know, and young women and young Native men that are running in their own district. So, you know... uh, they are. We are a mighty, mighty nation, they say, and uh, they will continue to survive, and they do it through their culture and their ceremonies and, um, you know, the raising of their family and their children to follow on through the next seven generations.
0: Well, can you speak about that, Paulette, because we are now in the time of the seventh generation, um this is the predicted time when everyone would come together and work together f- for for the good of mother earth do you see that happening now well
1: you know i i am not a native person so from my political perspective as an ally um and i would say i am under the leadership of leonard peltier Chase Ionize, Dennis Banks, Russell Means, all of these people who I have studied with and worked with um, and followed their direction that that we need to pay attention. You know, we need to understand that uh, this climate change is a reality, that uh, if we really want to protect Mother Earth, we want to protect the ocean. Maybe we have to give up these plastic straws, which, living in Florida, you know, is devastating the the sea animals. And people say, "Well, I have the right to have this." Well, you have a right to keep this land safe for your children and your grandchildren, and not be so greedy that you you can't see to the future. So we really need to. Educate, we need to be able to sit down and talk about these things. We need to have conferences. People need to understand cultures and not look at somebody else's religion or somebody else's language as foreign and therefore has no place here. When in fact, the culture and the language and the ceremonies are what has maintained. Uh, Native sovereignty and identity since, you know, Christopher Columbus, uh, since Leif Erikson, since the European invaded uh, the indigenous peoples throughout this hemisphere, North and South America. So we, we need to step back. We need to listen to them. We need to follow some leadership. We need to struggle within the white community against racism against uh the whole question of well why should they have it they have a treaty well they have a treaty but every treaty 323 3 treaties pardon me were made and everyone was broken so when people say well they have all of this well you need to go live in their shoes and see what they've gotten out of these treaties so As white people, we need to take the blinders off. We need to sit down. We need to read some books. We need to read about from Vine Deloria, who is this wonderful native philosopher, uh, and understand that there is another part of our psyche which relates us to, to not just Mother Earth, but, you know, when you take a walk in the desert, or you take a walk in the mountains, that you you protect it. You don't throw trash down. If you smoke, you take everything out with you. And that we all want this for our children. I mean, it's incredible, beautiful nation we have. But if we're not careful, we're not going to have it and... Maybe some of the people who are listening who are young, their grandchildren will never have the same privileges of going to these national parks or, you know, being able to swim in the ocean because it's so polluted. And that will be on us. That will be on this generation for not listening and and following the directions of people who have been caretakers of this land for so long.
0: Well, Vine Deloria's um extraordinary book God is Red um covers right. the, the native view of religion and um also brings environmental issues uh, you know in throughout throughout it's it's just it was published in 1972 it's just an, an extra you know uh, at the time right. of wounded knee it's it's just an extraordinary um, document uh, and testament to um, Native spirituality and and inner strength.
1: Right. It is. It's a wonderful book. If people only read one book to, to try and understand, that would be a wonderful book to read. Uh, you almost feel like you should light some cedar or some sage when you sit down to read it so that you can step out of this reality and into the shoes of someone who has lived that life Um, so that a different part of your brain and your heart is opened up and you somehow have empathy for what other people are going through. But... um, Yes, that's, that's very true. That's very true. And don't forget, any questions you have, you can call me at 218-790-7667. This is the National Office of the International Leonard Peltier Defense Committee, and our website is whoisleonardpeltier.info. And Mia, it's so wonderful to talk to you. you. Know, we could probably spend two or three more hours.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, Paulette, we it's been our
1: conversation. <laughs>
0: it's been an honor working with you over the past year and getting to know you. Um, you were instrumental in the publication of. New Observations magazine on the Pine Ridge issue. Um, you just made it a joy to uh, work with Leonard's art and pull it all together. Um, there's, I, I do want to say here about his art specifically, uh, in 2012, the, the American-Polish um, sculptor Joanna Malinowska was chosen to participate in the Whitney Biennial uh, at the Whitney Museum in New York City. And as part of her installation, she chose to hang one of Leonard's paintings and put a sign next to it saying, this painting was done by Leonard Peltier. Um, He should be here, but he's in prison. And she had the support of the Whitney Museum in doing that. Um, And one of the things we're planning to do uh, at this time, and and we just have our first uh, couple of um, participants, and and in fact, both of them, um, James Tunney and Addie Mayer, are people who've been interviewed on the New Observations podcast and their work has been in new observations magazine they're both international artists uh james is a barrister a mystic a writer and an artist from ireland um currently living in one of the scandinavian countries and he made a beautiful painting uh that's that says free leonard peltier using the four directional colors. It's just a very powerful piece, which is it's in the beautiful. latest issue of oh new, new Obs isn't it amazing? You can feel the oh, spirit. It's
1: gorgeous. It's
0: gorgeous. Um it's and in I, the newest.
1: The other thing I want to let people know is that through this new observation Pine Ridge issue, Leonard was so happy. He was he said, I am so touched to think that I would be included in this. He said, you know, I I have to thank everybody. I have to thank Leah and all the people that worked on this. He said, you know, for a short period of time, he said, I was out of the prison. I was just back in Pine Ridge, and he said, I can't tell them enough of how that short little time away did my heart so well. So you know um, that uh, for him to be able to mentally get out of that place after 44 years, um, for him, it was like being able to go to Sundance. So
0: uh, I have to
1: thank you for that because it's uh, every day when you get up and the bars are there, you know, it becomes more and more difficult to go back to what you remember. But uh, that wonderful issue allowed him out of that cell for a time in his heart and mind. So
0: we really
1: thank you so much from the committee.
0: Oh, well, that's so wonderful to hear. And it was a joy and an honor to put the issue together. And I have to say, every time I open it, the light that comes out of it, you know, the energy, the power um, fr- from Leonard and and the Lakota people on Pine Ridge, it's palpable, you know. You can absolutely, absolutely feel it. But, um, but you know, and, and that's what James Tunney was responding to when he made that painting, um, Free Leonard. And Addie Mayer, who does The Space Rider of the artist and filmmaker who made the Space Rider films, one of them on Pine Ridge, um, is actually um, doing two special pieces. One is a drawing, but the other is um, a photo collage of the Space Rider on the Space Rider horse carrying a flag that says, Free Leonard Peltier. And our goal is to put uh, together a collection of 50 works of art um made specifically in support of leonard and uh and his freedom um and uh there'll be a musical component to all of that too but we're we're really pushing forward to put together this group in in the next several months very exciting Yes, it's, right
1: it's wonderful
0: wonderful well, Paulette, thank you so much for joining us. We will have oh, all of your
1: welcome.
0: contact information and information about the Defense Fund and Leonard along with this um, wonderful interview. Uh, thank you. Thank you.
1: Oh, miigwech. McGwitch. <laughs>
0: And um, we will see everyone back uh, next week. Thanks for joining us. Bye for now.